Welcome, Anatolia, a Slavic journalist living in Moscow. Thanks for being here. Uh, hello, Lana. Very nice to be with you. You know, I was joking around before we started that these kinds of conversations, you know, me as a, an American living in it, I'm also living in an occupied country. This might be illegal soon to talk to Russians <laughs> in America. I'm serious. Uh, well, I mean, why make it illegal when you can just uh, kick people out of Uber and uh, uh, from uh, uh, Airbnb? So just uh, deprive them of the ability to make a living. And seems to, so it seems to be more efficient that way, frankly. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, I of course, I want to talk all about the Ukraine-Russia situation, what it's actually like to live in Russia today, because it's a total media blackout for us. We don't hear from Russians or Russian journalists. But let's get a little bit into your uh, background story. As your parents, I know they left Russia, but then you repatriated. So tell us a little bit about that and, and that experience. Uh, okay, yeah, sure. Um, so I uh, left Russia in 1994 when I was uh, six years old. I spent about a decade in the UK, then about a decade in the US, and uh, repatriated to Russia in 2016. Well, I mean, I enjoyed my time in the, in the handler world, uh, broadly speaking. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, I identified as a Russian, and uh, it ultimately seemed to me incongruent and to some extent uh, cringe to uh, uh, maintain that identity uh, while uh, living uh, on foreign soil, essentially. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that was the, the primary, ultimately, impulse for me to repatriate. Now, where were you living when you left Russia? I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Uh, when I was uh, uh, in, in the Bay Area in the U.S. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Lots of Russians there, too. I still have lots of family there. My uh, parents grew up in the avenues there in the 50s before there was a syringe and poop on the streets. Uh, now, now, in your view, is living in... America, I know you were still young, but um, younger uh, versus Russia. Do you like Russia better? Do you think it has more to offer? Uh, well, I mean, uh, what I would say is that uh, basically all the amenities uh, and the societies that you have in uh, in uh, something like the Bay Area, I mean, they're accessible in Moscow. People do seem to have very, um, very much out of date impressions. I mean, there's uh, things like uh, food malls. If you want to ski, you can. Uh, well, a flight to uh, Sochi is uh, is uh, more expensive and a bit longer than uh, diving to uh, to Tahoe or whatever. Uh, but uh, it's not 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 ultimately a big deal. Uh, so um, if if you're talking about just quality of life issues. Uh, frankly, there's everything in Moscow that you have in the Bay Area. Probably, frankly, like even if you're talking about various uh, French communities, like transhumanists, for instance, I mean, the Silicon Valley is obviously the primary hub for them, but uh, Moscow has tons of them as well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're looking to have uh, people to have interesting conversations with or uh, to um, do various uh, hobbies or like pursue like sweepy things like stuff white people like <laughs> uh then uh, yeah i mean i mean uh, moscow isn't any worse for that in my opinion than uh, uh than the bay area and of course considerably cheaper as well although of course that's mitigated by local salaries uh, being correspondingly lower uh, as well so it's not all sunshine and those is obviously i mean obviously a uh, 70 years of uh, of communist economics uh, still make, making itself felt to a large extent, uh, so I mean that's inevitable. Yeah. Uh, but uh, overall, overall, I'm uh, I'm positive on ambitious prospects, uh, and it is a good feeling to have all these uh, all, all these amenities and entertainments uh, accessible to myself while they're being uh, amongst people I consider to be my own. Yeah, exactly. Now, do you think you're in the big city? Do you think that Russia is going to be more susceptible to global homo? I know you know that term in the coming years, because some people on this side uh, on our side of the world speculate that, oh, well, Russia is probably just uh, 20 years behind or so. What's your opinion mm -hmm. on that? Uh, well, my opinion on that is that there was a uh, substantial risk and some indications that this was happening amongst uh, sort of uh, young univers university students in particular uh, at the more prestigious universities. But I mean, that's how it always works, right? It starts to seep in into the uh, demographic cohorts, which are most integrated uh, with, uh, with the West and uh, spread for there, essentially. Uh, of course, uh, the uh, uh, distancing that Russia has been doing from the West, uh, which has really accelerated for obvious reasons, 
since uh, February twenty uh, second. Um, that's going to put a major crimp on that. Uh, so I'm uh, relatively white pilled about that. This is uh, the. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I, I do, I, I do agree with it with, with this that uh, those stats do exist. Uh, but um, like even relative to a country like Poland, the uh, show is sort of like less advanced in that process. Mm, yeah. Now, Putin's on the screen. <laughs> now, do you like mm-hmm. Putin? Do the majority of people like Putin? I know there's some uh, nationalists, you know, in other countries that say, well, he mm-hmm. he might also be controlled by foreign interests, namely uh, Zionists. Uh, what, what's your thought on that? I mean, because he says a lot of uh, schizophrenia about yeah, that and a lot yeah. of uh, sort of conspiracy yeah. uh, theories. Um, I mean, I could sort of uh, see that point why nationalists might have a problem with Putin because, yes, I mean, if you're talking about the mid to, mid to late 2010s in particular, he was, uh, uh, the Russian state was uh, undoubtedly repressing nationalist organizations under the Article 282 hate speech laws. And uh, there was also very strong feelings of Zrada. Uh, that's a betrayal, uh, in, uh, but well, it's sort of like a common term uh, amongst Russian nationalists, both from the Ukrainians, uh, in, in regards to uh, the Donbass, for instance, a lot of suspicions that uh, Putin uh, was also sort of like um, planning to abandon that entire project. Uh, so uh, there was uh, like uh, increasing immigration, uh, labor migration from Central Asia, which again is a, is a sort of sensitive issue amongst nationalists. Uh, but since uh, since uh, the late 2010s, uh, uh, it ha- life has become a lot better for Russian nationalists because uh, at that point Putin has started uh, sort of fulfilling most of the core demands of, of Russian nationalism. Uh, mainstream national nationalism. I'm not talking about like marginal Wignats and 1488 type of people, yeah. but but mainstream nationalism. So I discussed that at uh, considerable length in my article, one of my last articles for the UNS review. It's called Russia's Nationalist Turn. Uh, but to briefly summarize, uh, uh, on all those points which I just mentioned, there was a change for the better. So uh, uh, Article 282, uh, the hate speech law was decriminalized. Uh, three, three, four years ago, uh, three years ago, uh, the immigration laws were progressively uh, reoriented uh, toward, to, towards privileging uh, uh, Russian speakers and uh, people with uh, Russian uh, sort of family backgrounds. And uh, uh, the um, uh, the constitution was the written to de facto define Russians as the uh, uh, the nation forming the state, the, the state forming uh, uh, people of the Russian Federation. Uh, so why is this significant? Uh, well, because uh, uh, I mean, uh, lots of actually Eastern, East Central European countries do have a clause in their constitution which which defines which states, says that the state belongs to the uh, sort of the, the titular nationality uh, of of that country, and even the Israel, for instance. Uh, defines itself as a Jewish state, even though uh, Israel is only 75% Jewish, whereas uh, Russia is uh, uh, almost 85% ethnic Russian. So why uh, should we uh, exercise this undue modesty that relative to the Israelis, for instance, who do not feel at all ashamed at defining themselves as uh, the sort of like that that Israel belongs to Jews, which is okay from their perspective. So why can't we have the same thing? So yeah, I mean, and uh, obviously for for obvious reasons, uh, like in the from the last year in particular, uh, integration processes with Belarus accelerated, and now uh, Putin has uh, sort of uh, uh, started the uh, resolving the Ukraine question in force. Uh, so basically, all the uh, uh, political demands of Russian nationalism have, in effect, been fulfilled over the over the three years. It was a pretty sudden and for many unexpected turn. Uh, but uh, I mean, for people who are not obsessed with uh, like personal issues they have with Putin or with various conspiracy theories about uh, how he's a Zionist or, or a Finn, I mean, there's some. Pretty, pretty funny about yeah, well. we, we've heard it all too. But uh, you're, you're right. He he, yeah, he goes so, back and forth on different things, and he said some incredibly great things that we agree with that we've said. I mean, many times in the way that he's calling out the West for all their garbage. You know, the way he's uh, you know discussed communism in the past and all that. So there's a little uh, 
flipping and flopping back and, back and forth, which I, I do want to get into that later about the denazification stuff as well. We'll get into that. But uh, Biden claimed recently there, there was 200,000 Russians that were fleeing Russia. And I even heard, heard that this includes gays who are going to Istanbul because I guess it's a safer to go to a Muslim country than live in Russia. Now, is, is there any truth to this? I mean, 200,000 Russians leaving. And, and, if, and if they are, it's the Russians that you don't want. So go ahead and leave. Right, <laughs> be doing you a favor, honestly. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, two hundred thousand. Uh, I mean, yeah, probably too, frankly. Um, one hundred forty-five million people, not that relevant, to be frank. Like, even if you even if you're talking about young people in particular, I mean, yes, they are uh, undeniable that they're more money and uh, higher skilled than the average. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, I mean, we have to be realistic about these things. This is. Uh, uh, like millions of Russians left in the 1990s. I mean, the uh, uh, even from a, like a human capital perspective, the uh, diaspora from the uh, late 80s to 90s was vastly bigger than whatever's happening now. Uh, uh, not not to even mention the white immigration, which, as I understand, uh, as you said, you're a part of. Uh, yes. So yeah, I mean, you're part of the white immigration, and I'm part of the uh, sort of uh, like the diaspora that's that occurred during the Yeltsin either. Uh, this is basically an order of magnitude, if not uh, if not more uh, smaller than that. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing, frankly, I think there's a very high uh, chance that many of those people will uh, uh, sort of spend some time in, in Tbilisi and Tashkent, which is where they uh, actually are, uh, because those are the only countries which, uh, which it's easy for Russians to sort of like uh, uh, go into. It's not like the West itself is open to them. It's not like they're even giving out visas. Uh, to uh, Russians, which is appreciated, frankly. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a good thing for Russia yeah. uh, at the end of the day. But yeah, I mean, they have limited savings. So, I mean, I don't really know what their game plan is. I mean, yes, yeah, some of them will find uh, like a job or whatever in, uh, in Germany, uh, but um, uh, it's not as if uh, the uh, Western Europe is going to be swimming in jobs anytime soon, uh, since they're basically creating the, the economy by uh, diffusing Russian gas. So, I mean, you know, the, the DAX is going down like a stone. And um, uh, so that's the first thing. I don't think the sort of Western attempts to essentially cut Russia out of the Western, uh, out of the world economy are going to uh, uh, like happen without the bouncing on the West itself. Uh, the, Solving fertilizer prices, that's probably another uh, big refugee wave uh, in another few months' time. And actually, a, probably a legitimate one uh, as opposed to 2015, because I mean, okay, like fleeing uh, hunger is sort of like a Wallace, pretty much is a legitimate reason for uh, like refugeedom as does it gets. Uh, so, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what I'm asking those uh, those Russians who have. Uh, uh, who have fled? I mean, where, where are they going next? I mean, uh, uh, like, what was the game plan? Uh, not, uh, I, I, I don't think, I, I think the economic impact on the Russian economy per se is going to be uh, limited because at the end of the day, most of Russia's uh, export earnings are from oil, petrochemicals, natural gas. Uh, so uh, the world economy isn't in a position to sort of block them. And even if the West somehow managed to block it, I mean, it would just sell it to China and things, yeah. Uh, so um, I, don't, I don't think that it's going to be, uh, frankly, that, that big of a deal. Uh, it's, by and large, it's going to, uh, to uh, stay away long term, in my opinion. Yeah, it'll be, West, it'll be worse for the West, and Russia will, will probably be okay. That's what's going to happen. Uh, you know, here we're getting major gas hikes, and they're blaming everything on Putin, even Biden talking about, you know, supply, was it food shortages, Putin, like everything is Putin's fault right now. It's crazy. Even though we know that this is all part of their agenda anyway that they had in the plans before. We'll get into that uh, great reset later. But I want to ask you, what do Russians think of all the uh, Russophobia and the Putin bans in the West? Like, it is just insane. I, I saw even his uh, black belt was pulled, right? Like, his, his title for that. And they're even mm -hmm. banning Russian blue breeds of cats from competitions. Like, it is just utterly mm -hmm. insane. We've never seen it this insane. What do Russians think of it? 
Uh, well, I mean, I think ordinary Russians don't really care very much because, uh, again, they don't really have much of a reason to care because uh, uh, the average Russian probably is, uh, isn't really all that integrated with uh, with the West. So for, for him, I mean, to the extent that they even like normal Russians call it their abroad, it's usually countries like Turkey, for instance, uh, which uh, well, which is not cutting, cutting like sort of like, uh, which is not battling Russians uh, from flying in anyway. Uh, uh, one of the supreme ironies of these, of many of these sanctions, as I've noted on Twitter, uh, is that it uh, hits precisely the most westernized uh, uh, classes of Russians and the ones uh, which have uh, like the closest ties there. So, for instance, they banned the monetization of Twitch streamers. Well, I mean, they're probably more 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 Putin than the average. That's that's for sure. Uh, they've banned the monetization on OnlyFans, for instance. And Pornhub. I mean, uh, those girls <laughs> oh, certainly no. don't uh, don't have, don't uh, uh, don't vote for Putin. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the supreme ironies that okay, uh, in 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 Great Britain, uh, one of the earliest sanctions was that Russian citizens were constrained to uh, have a, a deposit of no more than 50,000 uh, uh, British pounds in British banks. Uh, uh, well, again, who does this affect? It affects uh, Russians in, in, in Britain, in London. Uh, you know, which, which is the, what is probably the world's most uh, anti-Putin, anti-United Russia constituency on the entire planet? Uh, it's uh, Russians who literally live in London. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, like in a recent uh, like constitutional amendment vote, I mean, uh, the like more than eighty percent of them uh, voted against it, which which was sort of like accepted seventy percent or something like that in Russia. Eighty uh, percent of them voted against it. Uh, the uh, banning uh, of uh, visas for Russians. Well, again, I mean, uh, who who visits sort of Western Europe for holidays? Uh, again, it's the more Western-leaning Russians. I mean, the normal types. Again, if they go, even if they go abroad, they go to Turkey, or they, for the, or for that matter, they go to Crimea or Sochi, whatever. Yeah, yeah. We were joking so, around. So yeah, I mean, one of the supreme ironies is is that is that the West is uh, disproportionately punishing its own people. Yeah. Who uh, who is sort of find themselves in the situation of uh, of. Uh, being very unpopular in their own country, yeah, uh, as well as uh, getting punished by uh, by the Western fans. Uh, that's pretty funny to me. We were joking around. Oh no, they're not going to have you know Pornhub and Netflix and all this uh, degenerate crap. You know that really just ruins nations. I was like, oh, and people were saying how to remove global homo overnight. <laughs> joking around, invade a country, right? Uh, <laughs> so let's talk into <laughs> let's talk about that um, because just some one on one stuff about the founding of Ukraine because it was important land that was taken uh, from the Russians, divided by the Bolsheviks. Ukraine was basically Lenin's idea, so not off to a great start right away, but maybe you can just qu quickly summarize that uh, one-on-one version for people that might not know. Okay, yeah, sure. My, my personal viewpoint and uh, I think the viewpoint of, of many in, in, uh, in, uh, in Russia uh, is that uh, uh, Russia, Ukraine, Belarus or the territories uh, that, uh, that sort of constitute them uh, have been in a common civilizational space uh, since uh, the uh, since Christianity came to uh, to Rus uh, in uh, uh, 988. Uh, so for two and a half centuries, for, for two centuries it, it existed, such as the uh, Mongol invasion, the expansion of the of uh, uh, the Duchy of uh, Lithuania, and uh, the Polish Kingdom uh, sort of split split the Russian land up. And uh, the uh, early Russian Tsars made it their historical mission to gather up the so-called Russian, uh, Russian lands, and they largely achieved that uh, over the ensuing centuries. Uh, then came, uh, and, uh, and yes, obviously, uh, as, as a pre-industrial state, uh, there, was, uh, there were a lot of regional variations, a lot of regional dialects for obvious reasons, uh, but frankly, this was the case in, uh, in many, many countries. So uh, the Northern French and the Southern French were mutually unintelligible. Uh, like all throughout the Middle Ages and early modern period, it was really only the spread of uh, mass schooling that uh, unified the French nation linguistically. Uh, even in uh, England, uh, like uh, there were parts of it like Cornwall, which sort of like spoke their own uh, Celtic language and uh, I think until the 18th century or so. So I mean, this uh, process of uh, 
of standardization, linguistic unification, nation building, that sort of a natural process that many countries uh, go through during the, uh, the era of industrialization, mass urbanization, uh, which uh, Russia, the Russian Empire was embarking on by the late uh, 19th century. Uh, the, uh, as, as I see it, basically the Bolsheviks uh, uh, artificially uh, divided the Russian nation, so the Belarusian Soviet Socialist Republic, uh, even though like like practically no Belarusian considered themselves uh, to be like like Belarusian uh, in in, the, in those uh, in those periods, and uh, in 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 the Ukraine as well. So, I mean, you could make an argument that the uh, areas uh, of uh, that Galicia, which uh, belonged to uh, uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, really was uh, by that point a separate nation, something separate from uh, from the Russian people. Because yes, I mean, it had been part of uh, of uh, the Midi of of uh, Blue initially, but it had spent, uh, frankly, nine nine centuries or so sundered from it. So, I mean, that's a long period uh, if, if you. Probably realistically, yes, it uh, sort of like built its own identity uh, by that point. Uh, but as the gods, as the gods, uh, the, the rest of Ukraine, as the gods, especially the territories of Novorossiya, which is uh, Novorossiya, which is the southern and eastern Ukraine, uh, which were frankly only like really only even belonged to Ukraine uh, because of uh, Russian arms, uh, which uh, which uh, conquered them from the Crimean Hamid. Uh, in the in the 18th century and allowed its settlement by uh, by both Russians and uh, and uh, little Russians as Ukrainians were called back then. Uh, that's uh, basically the only reason that it exists in Ukraine and the fact that uh, those territories were for, folded into the, uh, uh, the the entity called the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic in the Soviet Union, uh, which uh, promoted uh, uh, its own sort of separate identity uh, during uh, the Krimizatsa era, as opposed to, say, the Kuban, uh, which in demographic terms actually had a pretty similar 50-50 uh, type of makeup, uh, uh, the same as southern Ukraine. Um, uh, the the Kuban, that's like uh, uh, Krasnodar, Krai, uh, and so on, that's like Sochi. Uh, uh, but uh, they they were the main part of the uh, of, of of the Russian state uh, subdivision uh, throughout the Soviet era, and uh, they adopted a fully Russian identity. And in fact, actually, one of the uh, ironies is that um, uh, in one of the is that they are probably more patriotic than average in Russia, according to various opinion polls. So, like if. Uh, uh, one of the opinion polls uh, serving support for the for the war uh, showed that it was the uh, Russian South which was most like supportive of it, uh, which is highly ironic given that uh, demographically it was uh, like 50-50 uh, Ukrainian essentially essentially ago. Now. Everyone's talking about this uh, war right now, the conflict. And as we know, it didn't just start, right? <laughs> this war has been going ongoing mm -hmm. basically for eight years. There have been uh, Russians that have killed in, in Donbass for the last eight years, which no one seems to want to talk about in the West, uh, violently killed in, in certain regions. So I want to just back up and where, where did this begin? Where did the conflict really begin with Ukraine and Russia? And why does uh, Ukraine and particularly the Ukrainian government hate these people so much? Now, we know we can also get into Ukraine and all the corruption and skepticism surrounding their government and all the coups. And it's just been it's been bad news. Or it's basically been a stomping ground for corrupt billionaires to launder money and do shady deals. And so, you know, the Ukrainian people have also had a bad deal. Well, yeah, I mean, I would point out from the very outset that uh, like even on the referendum on preserving the Soviet Union, there was some. Um, uh, like uh, the majority of Ukrainians, uh, like 70% of them approximately, just like Russians and 80% of Belarusians voted in favor of it. Uh, so um, this is a long-term process of, of sundering. I mean, which, a, a natural process to some extent when you live in separate countries. Of course, over time, anything that that sort of begins fakeish and encoded does uh, steadily coalesce into something more real. Uh, so. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, even as late as 2014, according to opinion polls, again, 
the division between Ukrainians who wanted to integrate with the EU uh, and the Ukrainians who wanted to, to instead to join Russia's customs union. And I mean, even that's a misrepresentation because actually, as we know, there was no serious prospect of Ukraine joining the EU anytime soon. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, even back then it was 50-50 division essentially. And uh, the uh, uh, Euromaidan essentially forced forced them into that direction. Uh, so uh, yes, and then, uh, it was coupled with uh, with uh, also uh, NATO integration because uh, yeah, I mean the uh, the Americans had uh, made a verbal promise uh, to Gorbachev not to expand NATO, which was obviously broken, uh, and obviously a security concern, and uh, obviously it's especially painful to uh, see this security threat growing at the same time as. Uh, uh, Ukraine uh, makes itself into an anti-Russian project, and I mean it ultimately was an anti-Russian project pursued by the uh, uh, by the political elites in that uh, in that country after Euromaidan. Uh, so uh, one thing, if uh, you allow a free debate about uh, which direction to go, uh, but in reality Zelensky started doing things like uh, such as banning the uh, uh, removing the Russian language from uh, from schools. Uh, that, by the way, and also the Hungarian language, this is why Orban isn't uh, sort of like very friendly towards uh, Ukraine either. Uh, they uh, shut down pro-Russian media, they uh, arrested and imprisoned pro-Russian politicians, so Medvedchuk uh, was, was imprisoned, uh, so, which is not talked about, like, uh, like when uh, Yanukovych imprisoned uh, Timoshenko. So, because the West isn't isn't only is only interested in sort of like democracy and uh, and procedure when uh, when it's sort of like their people getting the test, and uh, uh, pro-Russian activists were were killed occasionally, such as Olyas Buzina. So it's not really a, an atmosphere in which there was a free and fair debate over which they. Over even over which direction would go and uh, whether they sort of uh, uh, like the direction that the Maidanist elites uh, did decide to go uh, in this uh, sort of uh, pursuit to integrate with NATO and uh, uh, and uh, remove uh, the Russian cultural influence from from Ukraine, uh, like reversing a thousand years of shared culture history, religion, and so forth. I'm sure that Ukraine, Ukrainian statehood would, would have uh, remained, uh, uh, would, would have survived intact, like with all of, with all of its territories, frankly, intact, had, had this not happened. Now, as a nationalist, a lot of people will say, well, you should support Ukraine against uh, Russian invaders. Now, how do you answer that? Because I know they've been separate now for, what, almost 100 years or something, but they're essentially... The, the same people, right? And, and as a as a nationalist, wouldn't you also support self-determination if there were Russians in these regions and they wanted to have their own republics? Uh, I support that. I support self-determination. <laughs> and I think that that would give uh, the most amount of peace. That would be a solution to end the war if Ukraine could just concede on certain areas. But they just won't let that happen. Why are these territories so damn important for them? Why can't they just make peace with Russia on this? Uh, well, I mean, uh, the one thing I would point out is that uh, Ukraine, it's its an exaggeration to say that Ukraine is done by nationalists, but Russians do, but uh, nationalists do have inordinate political influence over, over Ukrainian politics. So, frankly, any, even back during the 2014 to 22 either, uh, there were cases basically of Ukrainian politicians uh, saying, say, oh, why, should, why don't we make a deal on Crimea? Uh, for instance, uh, which is sort of like the midway point, They're like even even like the like extreme Russian liberals like Navalny like propose something like a referendum in Crimea uh, to decide whether Crimeans uh, want to uh, join Ukraine or join join Russia. I mean, and I mean, marginalist Navalny is in Russian society, uh, but uh, even saying that was the vote, and so like Ukrainian politicians that voiced that they had these investigations opened up against them and so forth. Uh, or being intimidated by uh, by Ukrainian nationalists. Uh, so uh, to some extent, I mean, this is, uh, I mean, to a large extent, I mean, I think this was simply unrealistic. And another thing I would uh, I would point out is that public opinion, frankly, is very malleable uh, when you have propaganda. 
And uh, uh, so, as I as I said, the split amongst Ukrainians was 50-50 between between Russia and the U.S. as late as 2014. Yeah, I mean, I, I think another another point I would emphasize is that um, uh, people people are pretty short-termist, and the uh, uh, and uh, simply the media atmosphere can, can make a big uh, big impact on uh, on how they view things. Uh, it's not uh, it's not as if most normies have uh, very deeply uh, held political con- convictions. They tend to go with uh, uh, with whatever's the flavor of the day, quite frankly. That's true. And there are a lot of young people in Ukraine are getting hit with so much propaganda. They've grown up in that. They've grown up in all these uh, coups and corruption and then all this uh, anti-Putin stuff. And now you have the West, even Oscars and Hollywood and just like the entire Western machine that is like supporting Ukraine, that is anti-Russia. So that's affecting a lot of these young kids. So they're ready to go uh, pick up arms and and, and fight fellow Slavs. I want to talk about the Azov, these uh, Nazis in Ukraine, because we know that they're have also been, um, you know, Jews funding them. They're not anti-Jewish, right? Even the ADL in the U.S. is saying basically they get a pass. They're they're good Nazis because they're not targeting Jews. Uh, you know, good good Slavic Nazis kill other Slavs. Basically, even uh, Facebook is allowing the temporary promotion of Nazism related to Ukraine. I mean, imagine if we had. Nazis in America. Now, they call housewives like me uh, Nazis just because I don't, don't hate myself for being white. So I guess it's different terminology when Putin says Nazi versus when Biden says Nazi. But imagine if there were real Nazis in America engaging in uh, warfare. You know, I mean, they wouldn't be so supportive. It's all very well, well, fishy to me. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, um... I mean, Azov uh, is is doing some sort of publicity efforts to distance themselves away from uh, from the uh, swastikas and so forth, though often not very successfully. I mean, they still can't stop themselves uh, from talking about uh, uh, Russian uh, Finno Ugric mats and so forth. Uh, but um, uh, but yeah, I mean, they've sort of changed their tunes, obviously. But uh, still, I don't see in what in what universe you could. Uh, uh, you could consider, say, the uh, Proud Boys to be more Nazi than, than Azov, which uh, like literally uses uh, sort of Nazi Nazi symbols like the <laughs> both sides of Angelum, so forth. I mean that. But yeah, I, but I mean, I mean obviously, uh, it's, it's sort of like not not as uh, or objective people who. Uh, get to determine these things. I mean, it's uh, just like the modern troubles in, uh, in Syria. Uh, like that, uh, like uh, you know that there was that scene of the Islamist uh, ripping out the heart of a uh, Syrian Arab army soldier and eating it live on cam. So yeah, I mean you recall the rhetoric about those not the jihadis. Uh, well, yeah, you. I mean, if you're if you're the West's useful idiot, then uh, they will uh, uh, obviously run PR for them, and even uh, uh, even Cam, what they were, what they themselves were dieting about the Nazi problem, uh, uh, like even as late as last year, uh, into the memory hole. That's right. That's right. Ukraine was talking about that. And even mainstream news. Oh, the problem of these Nazis in the Ukraine. And now they're they're uh, practically heroes. And I noticed some of them are embracing this Hollywood version of a Nazi, right? Like this uh, psychotic, you know, crazy person just without uh, hating Jews. Now, and now they're, they're being supported everywhere. Well, we know that Western forces that they'll they'll use whatever side they have to to further their agenda. I know Assad recently said that as well. So they really just don't care. Uh, it's just it's interesting to watch how they they're getting a pass right now and i don't know are they going to be used as a fall guy or is there just different people jumping in there claiming to be nazis so that they can do this stuff and later on they could blame oh well it was actually the nazi groups doing all these atrocities you know i don't know but putin said he wants the denazification of ukraine but of course they have no no power right nazis don't have power in ukraine it's a globalist neoliberal communists and of course there's a jewish president that's in charge of the government and being pushed by a lot of these western neoliberal forces i mean he said he didn't even want war he wanted peace with with russia initially and now look at where we're at um but what does putin really mean when he's saying a denazification is he just being kind of cheeky or what, what do you think well, look, look, look. Uh, I mean, Putin said a lot of things on Ukraine, but uh, one thing that he has been saying since the uh, late 2010s, uh, late 2000s even, uh, is that Russians and Ukrainians are one people. And furthermore, I would say that even as of a few months ago, 
soon after Putin told that article on the historical unity of Russians and Ukrainians, which I strongly suggest everybody read to get to sort of like get at Putin's view of this conflict. Um, uh, the, according to a poll, opinion poll, 41% of Ukrainians for that matter, even even uh, like literally a few months ago, agreed with that statement that Ukrainians and Russians are one people. So it's not some kind of French, uh, like uh, ultra French, uh, ultra nationalist, identitist manifest. It sort of uh, reflects the majority opinion in uh, Russian Belarus and uh, the opinion of a substantial number of people in Ukraine itself. Uh, so, uh, as, so as the cutting, uh, that's, I mean, that's the core, the core argument, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, obviously, the, the notification is a rhetorical tool. In that same speech, uh, the fact where, where he had the, the fact to announce the war, uh, he also said that uh, uh, that he would also decommunize Ukraine. Uh, so it's basically a denazification and a decommunization, and you can uh, sort of uh, cherry whichever you want <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like kind as, of as by your ideological predilections so like the communists who are fighting to restore ussr too uh, they can uh, like uh, go on about the nazification uh russian imperialists monarchists and the dentist like uh, ethno-nationalists the dentists they can uh, uh they can uh, sort of uh, like uh, bolster the decommunization uh, part of the message. So you know, Putin said like literally, oh, oh, uh, you want you want the communization? Well, let's not leave a job unfinished. Uh, we'll show you what real decommunization looks like. So well, considering that Ukraine is literally the successor of the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic, uh, which was uh, which gained a, a huge amount of its territories, uh, present territories uh, from from the Soviet Union. And that's sort of like a, if. if that's a, that was a pretty good pretty good tolling on Putin's part. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean uh, as as a, as a marker, Nazism doesn't really have much to do with uh, real historical Nazism as such. Well, I mean, not not not, not the uh, Ukrainian lab version of Nazism. I mean, Nazism in the original uh, version is NSDAPism, so it's uh, National Socialism, German Workers' Party. So. Um, I mean, obviously, doesn't doesn't have any connection with that movement whatsoever. Uh, not not in not in Russian portrayals of it, and not in the way that Ukrainians laugh about it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, my personal opinion is that it is a, a basically a rhetorical device by and large. Okay, got it. I want to talk about too uh, all this footage that's coming out uh, in Ukraine. It's been a huge propaganda machine. We even see Hollywood producers that are helping Ukraine uh, with it with their propaganda and a lot of footage that's coming out. We just don't know if it's real. Is it faked? Uh, as some of it we've known is old. Some is actually from an old zombie movie we found out a few years ago. It's and and it's really now become the fog of war. All these different factions that are there fighting. All these crazy people are coming to Ukraine and picking up guns to kill Russians. You have all these different interests. So it's hard to know what's really happening. But there was some recent footage that came out with captured Russian soldiers um, who were uh, castrated. They were shot in the balls, their, their bones were broken, and Zelensky recently just reminded soldiers to uphold the G Geneva Convention, which, of course, who really does during war? War is brutal, but, of course, they, they wouldn't uh, hold Ukraine to this. I think Ukraine would probably get a pass. If Russia was doing something like this, it would be like nuclear war or something. But what do you think about this footage coming out, uh, you know, Russian missiles, and they're hitting hospitals, and, and now we see this coming out on, on the flip side? How bad is it really there? I mean, because I have talked to people in Ukraine and they say they see planes, there's missiles, they're shooting, but they can't tell who is doing what because it's just such a mess there. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I mean, Russia takes uh, ties to uh, target military uh, personnel to the extent possible. And I mean, it's obviously not going to be possible all the time, but uh, uh, if, if you're occupying a wall, uh, for instance, then it becomes a valid military target. And as regards the bombing of that maternity hospital in Mariupol, well, I mean, frankly, it was publicly announced that it had been vacated uh, three or four days ago yeah. before, before the bombing and occupied occupied by uh, uh, Ukrainian military. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't like 
going down that rabbit hole, but uh, I do think that pregnant woman, woman who was shown was like the crisis actor because I mean, at the hospital had literally been closed for three days and she later appeared in another photo shoot this time accepting uh, food from uh, from like a Russian humanitarian talk. Uh, so I'm pretty skeptical about that. Um, the um, uh, thing about uh, the uh, war crimes, uh, the shooting and the kneecaps, uh, that video seems to have been geolocated. Uh, it seem, does seem to have uh, to have uh, been legitimate, uh, as in real, not fake. Uh, I don't think that it's a very good idea for the Ukrainians to do this because, uh, like, even morality and ethics aside, because uh, uh, I mean, Russia has a lot more uh, Ukrainian prisons of war than, than the converse. Uh, so, you know, that's just not a very good idea from that perspective. Though I suppose if you're very cynical, uh, the intention behind this could be to uh, uh, to uh, anger the Russians sufficiently so uh, sufficiently so that uh, uh, Ukrainian soldiers would be more afraid of uh, deserting or surrendering. Uh, so there's sort of like a, a there is a kind of logic to that as well, well even if a very cynical one. Now, it's just going to make it worse for them. And it's it's horrible for me to say this, you know, as a Russian, too. Like, I don't want to see I don't want to see more brotherly wars. Like, I don't want to see any of this. And I know that it's just being instigated. Uh, there's other forces that are stirring the pot. Right. And uh, basically more white people are dying, you know, <laughs> and it, it's it's horrible to see. And I, my question is, why is this so important to globalists? Why is Ukraine and getting to Russia so important? I know some people theorize as part of the Great Reset, and uh, and Russia stands in the way. What is your view? I mean, uh, the uh, West has been trying to integrate uh, Ukraine into its security and uh, like geopolitical structures for for decades. Um, and I mean, it sort of it does make sense because a Russia without Ukraine is uh, all else equal a weaker country. Uh, well, I mean, it's basically. Uh, used to be 50 million, now more like 35 million people uh, who share the same culture with Russians would be very easy to integrate, uh, don't have a history outside of Galicia of, uh, of, of armed resistance uh, against Russia when they were part of the, like even the Soviet Union. Uh, so obviously this would be a big boon to Russia and uh, well, not, not as big of a relative boon to the West, uh, but, uh, but still, I mean, um, like this, this is a long, long-running process, and uh, like even even integration with uh, the EU, uh, which they were trying to force it. I mean, if you recall, the in 2014, the choice wasn't uh, uh, they didn't allow a choice of both the EU and the Russian Customs Union. They it was the EU which insisted it had to be one or the other, uh, and so uh, to that extent, substantially forced the uh, the color revolution. Uh, so I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, just for these uh, sort of like my uh, out of these considerations that a, a Russia without Ukraine would be a weaker Russian and more itself and then more susceptible to uh, to Western influence over the long run. I do acknowledge and agree that it is a huge tragedy that uh, it ended up being a war because there were, I mean, ideally. Uh, Russia and Ukraine could have integrated under the aegis of the uh, uh, customs union uh, of the like and they sort of like a EU-like structure. Uh, the alternative, which was pursued after after 2014, was the uh, so-called Minsk Accords, uh, in which Ukraine was supposed to federalize. And the idea there was that uh, uh, the eastern and southern provinces, which were more Russian leaning, could over time naturally naturally drift towards Russia simply by weight of their economic and cultural links to Russia. Uh, but uh, this was made impossible. I mean, the uh, those files were completely purged from the Ukrainian government, and as I said, uh, Russian cultural and media influence was uh, forcibly shut down uh, without any complaints from the West. In that. I mean, it's it's logical from the state of uh, from the point of view of uh, of Ukrainian nation building, uh, but uh, um, obviously Russia back to differ. Uh, so and eventually we came to this uh, sort of uh, well tra tragic crossroads essentially. 
Now, what do you think is a, is a peaceful solution? I know Russia had some reasonable demands, right? They wanted for Ukraine no NATO membership for Ukraine. Uh, NATO shouldn't exist anymore anyway. Uh, no militarization, uh, of course, the denazification, which we talked about, and then stop limiting the Russian language in Ukraine. Uh, that Those were their demands. Uh, what do you think is a peaceful solution? Oh, you see, here, here's the thing. I mean, I will say from the outset that uh, the Ukrainians are interested, aren't interested in this. According to opinion polls, at least um, a, a week or two ago, uh, 90% of Ukrainians literally thought that they were winning. Uh, so uh, why on earth would you uh, give concessions to a country that you think you're beating? Uh, that's the first thing. And the second thing is, I mean, I mean, okay, like even, even if Zelensky uh, like went ahead with this, uh, the uh, he'd frankly get assassinated by the nationalists. I mean, uh, the, the, this this isn't real, realistic. I mean, uh, these people literally shot one of the people on their negotiating team because they had suspicions that he was a Russian agent. I don't know if that was was uh, was correct or not, but but uh, you know, I mean, there's some crazy people there uh, who have really maximal, maximalist demands and would stop at nothing uh, short of Russian withdrawal from Donbass and even Crimea, uh, to say nothing of all those other points. Uh, so that's the first thing. I mean, the political class is enthralled to uh, uh, maximalist Ukrainian nationalists. But the second point is that even non-Ukrainians believe that they are winning, because that's what the TV tells them. Uh, so, uh, uh, frankly, uh, until until at least the Ukrainian army uh, isn't getting decisively beaten, and for that to happen at the minimum, I would expect uh, you'd need the full encirclement and uh, liquidation of the pocket in the Donbass. Uh, I don't think any any negotiations are realistic, any negotiations that lead to a, a, a peace deal at any rate. This is why from the beginning I have been saying that all, all negotiations are a charade and self-proven otherwise. Uh, I've been proven correct so far. Yeah, so this could be going on for a long time. Do you think it's going to be going on a long time? Because I remember you had some other predictions yeah. <laughs> before. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I got I got most of my predictions died, so I was correct on the invasion uh, up, up up until even the, the date, uh, and I was uh, correct on on other things such as uh, China supporting uh, or at least acquiescing to Russia uh, on many of the economic ramifications uh, on uh, the fact that uh, neither that uh, Russians would not overthrow Putin because of this, that the war is relatively popular in Russian society, that uh, the oligarchs have no power, the so-called oligarchs in Russia, contrary to popular opinion in the West, have no power over over Putin's decision-making. Uh, but yes, I mean, I did sort of uh, uh, take a big L uh, in, uh, in the modern jargon. Uh, on the duration of the conflict. I thought that it would be wrapped up in a matter of uh, several of a few weeks, uh, much uh, much like uh, like along the model of, of Iraq. Uh, in reality, it now seems pretty obvious that it's going to take several months. Yeah, because oh, I guess you couldn't have anticipated, too, all the support that they were going to get. And just, I mean, they're talking about it at the Oscars, for crying out loud. It's amazing how all these anti-gun people in America, all these annoying liberals are now like, yeah, go kill Russians and blow them up and tanks and guns. And now they support, uh, you know, ethnic nationalism for Ukrainians. And it's just mind blowing for people like us who have literally lost uh, bank accounts and been banned and censored everywhere for supporting these things for other people at other times. And, and it is amazing, too, how Biden is accusing Russia of everything that he's doing, jailing protesters, censorship, banning, ending free speech, uh, pushing state propaganda on the news, war, murder, conquest. I mean, these are globalist American values. And all we hear right now is Putin, Putin, Russia, Russia, Russia. You know, like he's the only guy on the planet that does does these things. But uh, what is your level of, of censorship in Russia right now? I mean, are, are you being are people being censored and banned and they can't talk about things? How bad is it? Uh, well, I mean, there was a law introduced against uh, discrediting the armed forces, which I think is is sort of more defensible than uh, than Western speech codes. On the uh, uh, because at least Russia is is in a pretty serious war, uh, so it has that going for it. And uh, uh, but to date, it's only uh, it's only boiled down to pretty minor fines, essentially. 
so uh, um, not not something you'd, you'd go to jail for. Uh, whether it's in uh, Czechia, in Slovakia, uh, they've actually introduced uh, criminal responsibility for making publication um, like uh, statements. And in uh, Latvia, there was recently a video blogger, Russian video blogger, who was arrested because his uh, video was supposedly celebrated the Russian armed forces. Uh, so it seems that relative to those East Central European uh, countries, uh, um, like uh, who are not even at war themselves. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can sort of, I mean, I mean, objectively, I can see why Ukraine now would be locking up the Russians. I mean, that's sort of to be expected if you're at war. Yeah. And uh, I mean, to a lesser extent, that also applies to Russia as well, because I mean, uh, Russia itself isn't being bombed or whatever, but Russian troops are involved in a special military operation. Uh, so and, uh, the uh, the Western world is subjecting Russia to unprecedented, unprecedented sanctions. So uh, at least in those grounds, uh, it's at least uh, somewhat more defensible, in my opinion. Now, w- with all of this happening, Russia is basically getting driven into the arms of China more. Uh, now, how is that going to change things with a stronger relationship between Russia and China if they pull away from the West? Uh, well, there's going to be more trade between Russia and China, obviously. Uh, the, uh, I mean, one of the points I've been making since the late 2010s again is that there is a great bifurcation uh, occurring. Uh, I mean, I think the future of, of the world is a sort of like a like the Western sphere, the US, its uh, various allies and satellites. Uh, so mostly Western Europe, um, like being one civilization. And uh, uh, the China also having a la- large sphere of influence called the Sinosphere. So, well, I mean, obviously, Russia is going to uh, to tilt much more towards the Sinosphere uh, in this uh, global rearrangement. Uh, but I wouldn't call it a dependency like many people, uh, like many Western analysts are, are saying with Schadenfreude. I mean, one thing I would point out is that Russia does have 145 million people, uh, possibly soon to be 180 or 190 million people if, uh, if like, like Belarus, Ukraine, uh, become united. Uh, so, uh, and uh, who have a lot of relatively high degree of human capital. So, I mean, I would say that even a country like uh, Iran uh, manages to run a pretty modern civilization. It even has its own commercial uh, airliner fleet. Uh, it produces its own, its own cars. Uh, so if uh, if Iran can do it, which has been subject to the very harsh sanctions in that, since 1979, I think it's a relative no-brainer that uh, Russia will be able to, uh, given its sort of uh, human capital advantages, its much larger population, uh, its uh, like high IQ population, and uh, the fact that uh, the uh, West share of global GDP is uh, has been decreasing progressively over over the past uh, the past uh, several decades, uh, relative to China and increasingly to India and so forth. Uh, so, uh, um, I don't don't think this is going to be a a, a that big of a deal as many Westerners are hoping in terms of social of Russian backwardness. Frankly, many of the uh, technologies that Russia is going to miss, it can either manufacture itself or it, uh, such as uh, such as uh, airplanes, for instance. So I mean, we do have the MC twenty one and the Superjet. Uh, so these are like airliners, which are uh, almost entirely made up of components which are domestically produced. And uh, uh, those uh, things that uh, Russia can't uh, produce, such as uh, uh, the most advanced uh, uh, microchips, uh, chip fabs are actually very expensive. Uh, so that's sort of like constraint. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean that can be made good with uh, with uh, with Chinese imports essentially. Uh, obviously, the Americans are not going to be happy with this. They're going to be talking of sanctioning China. But the good thing is that uh, Chinese American. Uh, ties, as I said, are progressively breaking down anyway. Uh, they have been ever since the Americans started uh, sort of uh, depressing Huawei. Uh, so I think that's going to play a decrease, an increasingly small part in Chinese decision-making on uh, what to provision to Russia. Now, after all of this that's been happening, do you think, would you say Russians are 
more united was, was my first question. And then the second thing would be, what else do we need to know <laughs> in America? What else, as a Russian, would you want to say to Americans, something that we're, we're missing or not here? Okay, yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, the uh, uh, Russian society is united back behind this. I said from the outset that I think that something like 60-70% of people supported the military operation and now other opinion polls have since confirmed it uh, and if anything support for it has gone up uh, in the weeks since. Uh, frankly, I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if the war drags on for a long time without successes, visible successes, probably support will go down, uh, but for now it's very high. Uh, frankly, you have to bear in mind that Western journalists, those who remain in Russia, they talk to a very specific subset of Russians. Uh, they tend to talk to uh, anti-regime uh, Russians uh, who like dislike Putin, uh, who are based in Moscow and St. Petersburg, uh, who are uh, younger. So frankly, the main division in support for the war in Russia, as with many other sort of like liberal conservative divides, isn't between uh, income levels, although there's a bit of that, but not the main part. It's not between men and women, it's not between urban and rural, but it's between uh, age groups so like the boomers supported much more than the uh like the young so like if, if it's like 90 percent support amongst amongst the boomers then it's uh, something like 50 50 amongst the uh the zoomers and millennials oh yeah yeah uh, so uh so yeah but uh but overall even even amongst that uh even amongst the zoomers that's uh, that's like 50 percent who do support it but obviously if you further narrow it down to like Zoom with millennials in Moscow, uh, the type of people who would be happy to talk to Western journalists, give interviews and so forth. Uh, well, yeah, then it's like 20 or 30 percent. So, uh, but, uh, but not exactly representative of the country at large. So that's, uh, that's the thing I would, I would want to say about, uh, about support for this as it stands. Uh, what I would like to tell Americans is that, uh, well, ultimately, we do view it as a sort of internal dispute uh, between Eastern Slavs, between uh, between one people at the end of the day. Uh, so you're not obligated to uh, uh, support one side or another for like any like deep ethical or moral reason or whatever. Uh, the one thing that I would, uh, I would sort of uh, want to mention uh, from the perspective of sort of like, like the old right or the uh, like uh, identitarianism as, 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 as concerns those people uh, is that uh, Ukraine is a country of, uh, of 35 million people and uh, uh, frankly yes uh, uh, Azov is currently being lionized by the Western media uh, you, they might think that they have uh, like allies within the Western elites but all of the, this is a very situational affair uh, as uh, like in the event that they achieve their dream and uh, sort of reconstitute Ukraine within its, with, within its sort of like take even take back Crimea, uh, like uh, I don't, uh, don't see any realistic path to that, given the military uh, predominance. But okay, yeah, let's assume that all your dreams come true. Uh, Ukraine sort of uh, gets back to its old borders, gets accepted into NATO, the EU. Well, what I mean, I mean, what happens next? Uh, uh, do, you, do you think, do you seriously think that uh, Azovites will end up ruling Ukraine? Well, obviously, obviously not. I think that's, that, I mean, uh, they, they can't even stop gay pride parades in Kiev uh, at the time when they sort of like have uh, uh, like, a, like this, uh, like they, they have a, a license to kill pro Russian activists, like essentially assassinate people like Olyas Putin and so forth. Uh, but uh, they, they can't even, um, even like, like, you know, do anything about this very outright expression of global homo in, in, in their own capital. So uh, and, uh, think what happens when uh, when your dreams come to and uh, yeah, I mean somehow Ukraine, uh, like the the Ukrainians, the U Europeans uh, look uh, look away from the fact that Ukraine has uh, wages uh, like a GDP per capita equivalent to that of uh, almost equivalent to that of Uzbekistan and uh, like ex accept. Uh, accept Ukraine into uh, into the EU the day after it claims Crimea. Okay, let's let's assume this fantasy comes to. But what happens then? Well, uh, I mean, Ukraine has 35 million people now. Uh, it's got a tiny GDP. 
people are you're not going to be sort of like uh, reading uh, white Europe into like a promise like uh, white Wakanda after this. Uh, you're going to be criminalized progressively, and uh, people will very rapidly uh, stop uh, like caring about what you did in the war, or whatever. Uh, you'll, uh, you'll simply be sidelined politically as uh, as nationalists, identitarians, ethno-nationalists, white nationalists have, have been uh, pretty much everywhere in the EU. And uh, this is inevitable simply because uh, you're not like by yourself or even in a, in a, in a putative alliance with Poland and the D4, it's not a viable uh, block. Uh, you use Western social networks to communicate with each other, which are going to be shut down. Uh, you're not energy dependent. Uh, your population is uh, less than 100 million, even in total, even if you could get past your very big uh, internal differences between each other. Uh, so, um, I mean, Poland and Ukraine, yes, they're currently united uh, because uh, the, the Polish uh, would prefer that uh, that uh, that Ukraine was literally ruled by, by uh, uh, I don't know, like uh, chaos cultists uh, over Russia having a border there. And uh, I mean, okay, that's not even that unreasonable for, for Poles, I suppose, from some perspective. Uh, but they do have their historical issues themselves. So uh, the national hero of Ukraine, uh, Bandera, uh, his uh, uh, like partisans killed uh, almost 100,000 Poles uh, during World War II. Uh, so that issue is going to come to a head in the event that uh, that uh, Poles and Ukrainians sort of have to like start integrating with each other oh i think and, there's uh, going to be a lot of sort it. of like cementing themselves together even if like even if like russia like vanished by like, this moment yeah. they'd still have to resolve that issue before before um they could uh, um like provision their conditions to 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 the eu uh, uh same thing with hungary hungary and ukraine also have their disputes over the Hungarian status of the hungarian minority in ukraine and their language rights and so forth so I don't really see how that's going to, to be realistic, especially given that uh, in practice the uh, EU has generally pushed the polls around quite successfully. I mean, they do depend on uh, EU subsidies to a considerable degree. Uh, so whenever those, uh, you know, uh, the uh, those uh, LGBT free zones that uh, you have in Poland, uh, so yeah, I mean they. Uh, declare those stones, which are really just for show. They don't really mean anything. Yeah, they're not uh, as hardcore as we to, think, to, unfortunately. To trigger, to, to, trigger, to trigger the lips, right? Yeah. And uh, then the EU comes down and says, uh, yeah, well, you know, if, if you're going to be uh, evil homophobes, then we're not obligated to, uh, to fund you, you know, those progressive uh, Dutch people uh, come around. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, not, not a popular viewpoint uh, in the... In, in the uh, in the, the sort of like nationalist viewpoint in the progressive uh, Western Europe. Uh, so yeah, they threatened to cut off their gifts. And very soon afterwards, uh, the, those Polish mayors uh, say, oh, we're very, we're very, very LGBT friendly after all. And, uh, the, 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 and uh, cancel those zones as soon as EU funding is, is threatened. Yeah, they were also crazy uh, so on the I'm vaccine. Just, I'm, just, I'm just finding it uh, like from a practical perspective and very difficult to see how uh, uh, how a country like how, how like Poland or the V4 block, even if you putatively uh, Ukraine was to join them, uh, how it's supposed to reorientate re the European world towards its values, given that those countries are uh, relatively poor and low prestige in the Western hierarchy. Yeah, I think we're going to see some negative aspects too of the uh, of you know millions of Ukrainians flooding into Poland, right? Because I mean they're they're similar, but they're different, right? I know there's lots of poles that are pouring into the UK, but it's a lot of people that are coming in there really fast, and it, it is a different culture, you know. So we'll see we'll see how that works. I mean, on the plus side, at least they're European, so <laughs> at least they're Slavs. They have that, you know. It's not like millions of people coming from Africa or wherever. Um, but yeah, I think that we'll see some. Some problems. Yeah. Well, I, well, I mean, I mean, I think I think Ukrainians will integrate into Poland. Those who stay there without much problems, because yeah, I mean, they are a property 
Plessy is uh, like genetically identical, just like Russians. And uh, I mean, uh, you can learn the Polish language as a, as an Eastern Slav in, in like three months, essentially. Uh, so I don't think that's going to be a big deal specifically. But I'm, I'm really talking more about uh, how the states would manage sort of to maintain ideological uh, consistency, like sort of like the conservative sort of quasi-nationalism that uh, uh, that they want to promote. Yeah. Uh, and how they would con- coordinate that between themselves at the state level, you know, long term. I was more guessing towards that. But yeah, I mean, like uh, even uh, Ukrainian, frankly, I mean, Poland has been, I, I think will benefit a huge deal in relative terms, like all the Poles which emigrated to Britain and uh, Germany and so forth, they've uh, basically been replaced in that some. Uh, thanks to this uh, uh, recent wave. Well, Anatolia, this has been very informative. I know that we can uh, speak mm-hmm. for hours. It's uh, getting late over there in uh, Ruski mm-hmm. land, Moscow. It's been yeah, very good to have you on and hear your perspective. And it's great that mm-hmm. we can reach out. And, you know, one of the big things for me is has been the language barrier. You know, my Russian is, uh, mm-hmm. is very uh, <laughs> child. It's on a child level. But trying to find mm-hmm. Russians to speak to an English audience is, is very difficult. And you can't even find stuff mm-hmm. online anymore, just blocked out and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's great yeah. having you on uh, and sharing your perspective. And I know you have some uh, powerful takes on Substack where people can go. Tell us uh, about yes, that. Yes, yeah. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm primarily blogging at Substack. Uh, thanks for showing the page, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Katlin Zero. All right. Well, thank you. We'll have to do this again sometime soon. All right. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Lana. And it's been great uh, uh, being on that Ice TV. Spokonly notch, I should say. Do you love Red Ice? Want more? Get access to exclusive material by signing up for a Red Ice membership. You'll be able to watch Weekend Warrior, our flagship show, the second hour of interviews, and other special feature videos only for subscribers. Were you a member and we lost you along the way? Renew! We love and appreciate you guys and gals and cannot do this without you. Help us be a sane voice, a lighthouse in the sea of insanity. As times get tougher, as people are searching for answers, they're going to need content like red ice. A little of all your support can go a long way. Thank you.